Maybe by now you've heard of what a lot of people call escape rooms. As a matter of fact, if you go downtown Yuma on Main Street, oh, somewhere across from like Du Bois, there's a new place there, and I don't know the name of it, but that's exactly what it is. It's a place that has what they call escape rooms. Now, escape rooms, by the way, are those places where a participant or a group, family and friends, they can go in person to a physical location, like the one I just said about Yuma, that can be locked into a kind of a game experience, where they, they're they essentially trapped in a room. The goal, of course, is to escape from that room. They usually have about 60 minutes or so to work together as a team, solve problems, and as they eventually escape from the room that they're quote-unquote locked into. Yeah, they break free from the room. In fact, our Washington family, uh, they actually participated in an in-person, on-location escape room experience last weekend. They escaped in like 58 minutes and so many seconds or something like that. In other words, they won. So congratulations to our PNW family. Now, the escape room experience also exists virtually in cyberspace. You know what I mean, on computers. In fact, there's at least a few computer-type games, gaming experiences available today, uh, who's, where the person's goal, if they want to win, the goal is to, quote, save the city. That's the name of the escape room. You know, save the city, be a hero. Save the city, save your business, save the economy. Save your loved ones, save your friends, save your family, save yourself. What the heck? Save your soul while you're at it. The goal of this particular escape room experience, the experience referred to as saving the city, is simply to save what's most important to you. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your well-known abilities to be a problem sol solver. I don't know. Then you, once you do, once you win the game, then you can go and tell all of your friends that you succeeded in saving the city, in this case. Hmm. Understanding exactly what God wants to be saved. Isn't that what Jesus was trying to do that day when he rode into, into Jerusalem? That infamous day that we often refer to as Palm Sunday? Come on. His, his uh, very planned, careful, calculated entry into, into Jerusalem that day was way more than to just make a statement about his leadership style, wasn't it? I'm reading to you from John's account of the Palm Sunday event from John chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that day had been with him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. 
It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went out to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look. The whole world has gone after him. So ends this morning's reading. Well, until recently, I had never thought much about this Palm Sunday event. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem as a story about saving the city. Honestly, I've thought about it. I've written about it. I've preached about it. I've taught about it for years and years. Never had I considered it was about saving the city. Over the years, too, I've been caught up in the drama, the pageantry, the pain, the pain, the passion, the misunderstanding of Jesus' identity, the symbolism of the palm branches being waved, the laying down of one's cloak, the Davidic shouts of, Hosanna, save us, and what must have been the authorities' goals that day, juxtaposed with Jesus' goal, his mission, resulting finally in God's plan to save humankind, reaching its predestined fulfillment, finally, after so long. The Palm Sunday event, certainly for us church folk anyway, if we're not careful, can typically be viewed as nothing more than a bookend of sorts, a day straddling the Holy Week journey, a day straddling that week just prior to Easter Sunday, Sometimes Palm Sunday is just referred to as a a threshold, you know, kind of this area that we step across to start to slowly move toward Easter Sunday morning. But this day truly is and was an outward and visible sign of the whole world being turned on its axis toward God. This infamous and fateful day symbolizes what had already been happening, actually. What's that? Here it is. The city of Jerusalem, representing the whole world, was being saved by none other than God himself. And this time, God was not sending someone else to get the job done. Understanding exactly what God wants to be saved, and finally knowing what God wants to be preserved for all time. Isn't that what Jesus was doing when he rode into Jerusalem that fateful day to save the city, to save the world from itself. Let me share this quote with you today. It's from Henry Nouwen from the Bread and Wine uh, Easter devotional book that I've talked about in the past. Jesus went to Jerusalem to announce the good news to the people of that city. And Jesus knew he was going to be, Jesus knew He was going to put a choice before them. Will you be my disciple or will you be my executioner? There's no middle ground here. Jesus went to Jerusalem to put people in a situation where they had to say yes or no. That is the great drama of Jesus' passion. He had to wait upon how people were going to respond to him. How would they come? Would they come to betray him or follow him? In fact, I believe, I believe much of the world that day was totally unaware what was actually happening to them, that their heads being turned toward God 
Remember I said a moment ago that the the world was spinning and turning on its axis toward God, that for a lot of them it was being done against their wishes. I'm sure everyone there, there that day wanted to save something or save someone. Let me go through some of the folks who would have attended that event that day. How about the Romans, especially the Roman military guard? For them, it was kind of another day in paradise, punching the time clock and then punching out anyone who gets in the way of the Roman peace. Yeah, they wanted to save time. They wanted to save emotional wear and tear. This Jesus of Nazareth guy was just another bothersome rebel upstart whose popularity would die out soon enough. And they knew that. There were the church leaders. You might remember I talked a lot about the church leaders in last week's message. They knew something significant was happening, and they were threatened without a doubt. Their concern was to save their own skin, save their own power, position. Their concern was to save their constituency, to save what brought them peace and comfort and what brought them a comfortable retirement future. There were the disciples. You heard me read it a moment ago. They really didn't know what was going on. They really didn't understand what was happening before their eyes. They probably had a hard time articulating their crazy experiences. They no doubt desired to save their future. I'm sure they wanted to save Jesus from himself because he had times where he seemed pretty crazy to them. I'm sure they wanted to save whatever it was they were trying to accomplish, this mission Jesus kept talking about. I think in the midst of all of this, John kind of hit the mark here. They really didn't understand what was going on. There were the pilgrims. Remember, there would have been tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of pilgrims in Jerusalem that day for the Passover journey. Many searching for the Holy Grail. You know, the key that would unlock God's rule and reign. Yes, they clearly wanted to save their own their own way of life. Finally, the freedom that they had hoped for might someday be theirs. There was Jesus. Jesus wanted to save humanity. Jesus wanted to fulfill God's mission. Jesus wanted to save God's plan that had been in place for so long. You know, exactly how people sized up Jesus and his saving mission certainly said a lot then and says a lot today about where they stand, what they think should be saved, and whether or not they've been honest with themselves about why Jesus still threatens them. So as we continue to navigate the wins and the losses of the coronavirus pandemic, we're obviously aware that an overarching goal in America and actually all over the world today has been to save. It's been to save lives, save leftover vials of vaccine, save the economies, save our pride, save our religious and our political philosophies, agendas, and beliefs. But honestly, who or what are we saving here, today, and how? And really, why bother to even think about saving our city? Well, I'll tell you why. Because as we help God save our city, we preserve, nurture, and build health and wholeness for all people to grow, to learn, and to thrive once again. Saving valuable things for good reasons. I mean, come on, we all do it. 
Some of us save things to simply recycle or throw away. Some of us used to save stamps. Maybe we save coins. Maybe we save money. We save reward cards. A lot of us who still use a computer save cloud data. We save old photos, old clothes, old letters, old shoes. We save old memorabilia. We save cash. In fact, I save coffee grounds just so I can recycle them. Many today save energy. The fact is we all save things. I mean, come on, look at us today. Look around you. What are we trying to save by gathering in person today? I'll bet we could easily come up with at least a dozen different things to save just right here on the tip of our tongues. How about save our lives? Save faith. Save face. Save love, God's love. How about save save this church? Save our legacy in Yuma, Arizona. Save our pride of ownership. Yeah, save all that we've worked for. Save normalcy. You know, every person I want, every every person I talk to wants so badly for things to return to the way they used to be. Save the world. Save our nation. Save America. Save Arizona. How about save Yuma County? Save Old Town Yuma. Save the city. Save Yuma First United Methodist Church. Save each other. Yeah. Save you. Are you personally? Are you even on your own worth saving list? Finally, look around you again and think about your plans for today. Obviously. It's obvious to me anyway. We're all willing to take risks in order to save what we believe to be valuable, important, and worth the saving effort. Understanding exactly what God wants to be saved. Isn't that what Jesus was doing when he rode into into Jerusalem? That fateful day we often call Palm Sunday. Let's drop back a few chapters and look at one of the major characters in the Gospel of John. I mean, take Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the unsung heroes and dubious doubters of today's Gospel. Although not, specific, although not specifically named in today's reading, don't think for a moment that Nicodemus missed the Parade of Palms that day. And although King David is officially known as, quote, a man after God's own heart, Nicodemus, I think, always was the church leader who knew the church of his day had it all wrong. Yeah, I know that's my opinion, but I'm the guy with the microphone. Yep, good old Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one who hands us the key and opens the door of gaining an understanding of Jesus' mission to save the city. Although rarely mentioned by anyone as a prime example of a faithful disciple of Jesus, Nicodemus, creeping around in the shadows of night, could easily be the poster child of why we are gathering together today to worship in person downtown Yuma. Because in our own way, we're all tired of what we've come to understand as a watered-down version of the church, and we want to get it right again. We want to once again be the gathered church downtown Yuma. In fact, in fact, I don't think anyone else here in this room other than me knows that I 
over the last year have been contacted by two different people outside of Yuma. Electronically, I was contacted via email. Their message to me was it went something like this. By the way, we've heard that Yuma First, downtown Yuma, seeks to make a difference in their community of Yuma. Yeah, no kidding. How did they know that about us? How did they know that we're not an apathetic, watered-down group of people that we truly do want to be a part of saving our city? How did they know that? Yes, Nicodemus, it seems to me, clearly wanted to save his own soul. Yep, he's our example, I think, because we overlook the fact that while most people in the gospel drama, those to whom the gospel writers assign a significant role anyway, they they did have what you might say were pretty practical and often self-seeking motivations for following Jesus. But Nicodemus, Nicodemus sought an eternal cure for human pain and genuine need. I think Nicodemus knew Jesus was the long-awaited Savior of the world, but he was afraid to admit it. He was afraid to make that move. Even though Nicodemus appears on the surface to have been shallow, clueless, and confused, I think the guy really was seeking to save his soul while seeking the heavenly things that so eluded him. And my friends, that is precisely where all of us should find ourselves today as we help Jesus dismount that brave little donkey he rode into town, as we cradle the palm frond, as we lay down our cloak, yeah, as we finally lay down our most valuable possession and step faithfully and humbly into Holy Week beside and with the one who comes to save the city, the one who came to save us right where we live today. I've been reading a Holy Week devotional that mentions a gentleman by the name of Peter Gregg. Peter Gregg, he writes in his book about a very personal account of the difficult journey of suffering and illness that he made with his wife. Pete mentions an experience with his wife, who is slowly and surely dying of cancer. And he recalls in his, bo- in his book, Got on Mute, that as she was no doubt gravely ill, he was struggling one particular day with his own pain and his own doubt and his own grief. And he asked her, Babe, have you doubted God? And she said, Pete, why would I? God's all I got. In his essay, The Signature of Jesus, Brennan Manning writes this about an elderly man who meditated every morning under a big tree on the bank of a river. One morning, after he had finished praying, the man opened his eyes and he saw a scorpion floating helplessly in the water. As the scorpion washed nearer to the tree, the man quickly stretched himself out on one of the long roots that extended over the river, and he reached out to save the drowning creature. As soon as he touched it, the scorpion stung him. Instinctively, the man withdrew his hand. A few moments later, 
When he had regained his balance, the man stretched himself out again on the tree roots to save the floundering scorpion. Again the scorpion stung him. This time, the sting was so severe that the man's hand became swollen and bloody and his face contorted with pain. At that very moment, a passerby saw the old man stretched out on the tree root. Still struggling with the uncooperative scorpion, he shouted, Hey, stupid old man, what's the matter with you? Only a fool would risk his life for the sake of an ugly, evil creature. Don't you know you could kill yourself trying to save that ungrateful scorpion? At that moment, the old man turned, looked directly into his detractor's eyes, and calmly replied, My friend, just because it is in the scorpion's nature to sting, that does not change the fact that it it is in my nature to save. Understanding exactly what God, God wants to be saved Isn't that what Jesus was doing when he rode into Jerusalem that infamous day we still refer to as Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is much more than a dusty bookend, isn't it? Palm Sunday is much more than a parade prompting a debate about God's mysterious plan for those who either choose to follow him or rather choose to execute him and everything he stands for. Palm Sunday is the glorious day Jesus saved the city, saved the world. Palm Sunday is the glorious day that ushered in the day that Jesus saved you. Yeah, you. Jesus' nature is only to love and to save. And friends, Jesus is all we got. O saving and life-giving Lord, we give you honor, glory, and praise today as each of us, as we thank you for placing your divine majesty aside just so you could take us by the hand and lead us, each one, into Easter morning. Amen.